Mindfulness Meditation Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Eshelman. Every Wednesday at the Rubin Museum of Art in Chelsea, we present a meditation session led by a prominent meditation teacher from the New York area. This podcast is a recording of our weekly practice. If you would like to join us in person, please visit our website at rubinmuseum.org slash meditation. We are proud to be partnering with Sharon Salzberg and the teachers from the Interdependence Project and the New York Insight Meditation Center. Description for each episode, you will find information about the theme for that week's session, including an image of a related artwork chosen from the Rubin Museum's permanent collection. And now, please enjoy your practice. Sharon Salzberg is the co founder of the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts, has been teaching and practicing for many years, and is the author of many fabulous books, which you can find in the bookshop, including Real Happiness at Work. Please welcome back Sharon Salzberg. This is the third of this particular three-part series um, of uh, discussing the three refuges or the three jewels of the Buddhist teaching. And these are like... These are like our North Star when we get confused, when we get overwhelmed, when things are just falling apart, it's all chaotic. We can remember, oh, there are people who've walked this kind of path, or there have been people who have been audacious enough to try to see differently and not just be bound by conventional understanding. And there are people who've gone before me and it's a good thing, isn't it? So, you know, when, in those times of overwhelm or, or feeling that confused, we tend to feel very alone. Uh, times when things are really difficult, it's not that easy to actually remember, oh, it's not just me, that this is a part of the human condition. There's change or there's adversity. And... Um, even when things are joyful and wonderful, it's not that easy to have that sense of sharing always and just being open-hearted about it. You know, there's often something in us that says, this is too embarrassing, things are going too well. I think I'll just leave this, you know, in some little corner, something like that. And so... Uh, this idea of being part of a community is, is really a tremendous reminder of how things actually are and also of how much we might tend to overlook. So the word Sangha in Pali or Sanskrit has three different, connected but somewhat distinct meanings or, or ways that it's used. The first is really in the sense of the monastic sangha. The monks and the nuns who for generations were charged with keeping these teachings alive, transmitting them. It was your personal responsibility. It's like a heart-to-heart transmission to make sure you really had kind of a sense of forging a lineage, you know, that this would not end with you, and that this would be a vibrant and ongoing tradition. And sometimes people hearing that nothing in the Buddhist teaching was written down for 
many hundreds of years, feel that somehow discredits it in some way. And I've heard oral, I've heard anthropologists say in, in contrast that oral traditions are sometimes more authentic. And I can kind of understand that because everyone invests. It's like my responsibility to really remember this so I can pass it on. And I know, in contrast, someone like myself, where I might Google something and I won't really bother to remember it because I think, I'll just Google it again tomorrow, <laughs> right? So I don't have that sense of like, oh, I've got to really get this, you know, so I can, I can transmit it. So that first meaning of sangha is that sense of respect that people have devoted their time and their lives. And we are the lucky recipients of a, a tradition because of that. The second meaning of sangha has to do with people who've actually realized something more deeply about the nature of life, who've broken through the bonds of conditioning, who've seen much more clearly, who've developed tremendous wisdom, tremendous compassion, and they are like exemplars for us because they too were people, are and were. Kind of ordinary people, just like us, who from the beginnings of time, men, women, even children have taken risks and dared to be different and actually practiced or learned, it doesn't have to be within this tradition by any means, but have, have really exploded lots of the myths about life and have really seen much more deeply. So that's a, a tremendous reassurance, isn't it? You know, like, wow. And of course, the thought comes, which is not a bad thought. Well, if you could do it, maybe I could do it too. That's actually a good thought. That's what it's all about. Because that, in fact, is the truth. So we, we say we take refuge in the Sangha in this sense, in that it's a kind of gratitude, like, wow. And it's important to recollect. Yeah, it's true. This, isn't, this is not meant to be something that's just theoretical or abstract or or we think, oh, well, you know, it's fine for them. They lived in a cave. You know, they didn't have to deal with Manhattan. Um, it's not like that. You know, it's like they are real exemplars and inspirations. Like, wow, maybe I can do it too. And then the third most contemporary meaning of Sangha is the one that's really expressed in that uh, piece of art, in that photo, which is like all of us. It's, it's a gathering. It's those of us who are on the path, not necessarily already highly realized, although perhaps, but on the path. We share the same values. Whatever kind of tradition or lack of tradition, um, it doesn't really matter, but it's those values. It's that seeking the truth, wanting to have a deeper understanding of life, not just live mechanically. We want to know kindness in, in a whole other way. We want to have generosity of the spirit. We have really come to explore 
where happiness is actually to be found, which automatically means stepping away from a lot of messages and a lot of influences. And what about a community that can be different together and support one another, who can look at things like pain and suffering, which isn't always that appealing in the larger world or loud in the larger world. What about being able to think about an adventure in simplicity and morality and generosity rather than in acquiring and getting and competing and having? It's not that easy to do all by oneself, but together we can have tremendous support. We can give support to one another, and we can receive support from one another. So I love that photo. Um, in many Asian cultures, the, the so-called value of a piece of art is not an objective measure. It's, it's based on the state of mind of the creator of that piece of art. So if one is getting more enlightened in the process of creating, then that's considered really wonder wondrous. You know, that's a, a beautiful and valuable thing, um, which is confounding in, in a lot of ways, right? Because uh, we don't necessarily think like that. But I often wonder, like, going up in one of the galleries or something like that, and sometimes uh, I'm just sort of walking, and then I feel transfixed by something my eye falls on. And I wonder, I wonder how many years it took them to create. I wonder what process they went through themselves in the act of creation. I wonder who they became by the end. You know, that's an inspiring kind of sangha. And so we all, we come together. I mean, look at us here now. You know, we come together and it's so supportive on a Wednesday afternoon. So that's a, a lovely meaning of sangha. It's a being, any one of us, who is growing and changing, learning how to care, and being the best that we can in concert with, with one another. So let's sit together. See if your back can be straight without being strained or overarched. And again, you can close your eyes or not, however you feel most at ease. And start by listening to sound.
Just letting the sound wash through you. And bring your attention to feeling your body sitting. And then bring your attention to the feeling of your breath, just the normal, natural breath, wherever you feel it most distinctly. The nostrils, the chest, or the abdomen. You can find that spot, bring your attention there and just rest. See if you can feel one breath. That's all. You don't have to worry about what's already gone by. You don't have to lean forward for even the very next breath. And if you like, you can use a quiet mental notation like in, out, or rising, falling to help support the awareness of the breath, but very quiet. So your attention is really going to feeling the breath, one breath at a time. If images or sounds or sensations or emotions should arise, <clears throat> but they're not all that strong, just let them flow on by. You don't have to fight them. You don't have to follow them. 
The image is used of seeing a friend in a crowd. You don't have to shove aside everybody else and say, go away, you're bothering me. But your interest, your enthusiasm is going, hey, there's my friend. There's the breath. There's the breath. And if you find yourself spun out in thought, lost in a fantasy, or you've fallen asleep, don't worry about it. Remember that the most important moment is the next moment after we've been gone. We practice letting go. We practice beginning again. Just gently bring your attention back to the feeling of the breath. No matter how many times you might have to let go and begin again, it's fine. That's the practice.
Isn't it amazing that no matter where our attention goes, we can actually begin again? So you can treasure those moments of letting go and starting over.
Thank you. That concludes this week's practice. If you'd like to attend in person, please check out our website, rubenmuseum.org meditation to learn more. Sessions are free to Rubin Museum members, just one of the many benefits of membership. Thank you for listening. Have a mindful day.